Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Bob London, founder of London, Inc. Now, if Bob's name sounds familiar to you, it's no accident. I often refer to Bob when I talk about the notion of the elevator rant, or basically what it sounds like in your customers' words they would complain about that you're good at solving. Bob has really coined himself as the chief listening officer to make sure that your marketing messages are in your customer's voice, not your own. We're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes that marketers make. We're going to cover some horrible examples of just train wreck marketing gone awry. And we'll talk about some of the things you should do to get better results from your marketing. You're going to learn a ton, and I promise you're going to laugh a lot because Bob's a stitch. Here's my interview with Bob London. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Actually, hold on. I'm busy writing down what you just said because I like it better than the way I describe myself. Thank <laughs> take you. your time. Take your time. Now, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you. I, For those of you who are – well, I guess none of you can see us. So, you know, this is really – I feel like I'm shooting a hip-hop video. You come in, and there's dancing girls, and Ian's sitting on a big throne, and – there's loud music and sh- crystal, and it's really amazing. So thank you for having me. Yeah, that's exactly the way it works. It's just like that. We're going to do this on uh, Periscope later so people can really see it. And Hold on. Let me, it. let me wave to Jay-Z. Hey, Jay-Z. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So, Bob, the reason I wanted you to come here was not because no one else would, but instead, which, which is usually why you're invited to places. <laughs> but, no, but, it's because my wife, they want my wife, and I'm tagging along. Well, so that would be the secondary reason. Right. Um, she said she couldn't come. I'm like, well, okay, have Bob come anyhow, and we'll talk to him. What, you, you, you have your finger on the pulse of the biggest mistakes that people make from a marketing perspective because oftentimes people bring you in after they've done all sorts of stupid stuff that just doesn't work. And, of course, you and I often laugh about the crazy things and silly things that companies do from a marketing perspective. So let's talk initially about the biggest problems that you see and mistakes that companies make when it comes to marketing. So I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, I I think uh, the, this ties into the concept of the elevator rant, which is uh, something I started talking about and, and a methodology I started using a number of years ago, which, first of all, it helped me double my business without me expending any additional effort. In fact, probably spending fewer hours actually uh, working, uh, which is not, not a bad thing. If Try it if you haven't tried that before. Um, and that is... Um, you know, most marketing is designed, as you alluded to, from the marketer's perspective. I mean, marketing has become this sort of almost its own thing as opposed to a thing that is supposed to drive the business forward. And uh, so much of marketing is, you know, it's sort of talking at the market. And so I, I went about this process of saying, well, why don't, why don't we just talk to the customer, meaning my client's customers? And understand what the world looks like from their perspective. And let's see if we can't re-engineer the marketing to address the things that matter to them the most. And that's when things just really took off. And that's, you know, eventually enough people say, well, that's pretty cool. And why don't you write a book and do that kind of stuff? So I am working on a book. Although, as you know, it's a little bit sideways this summer. Well, you know what? And and the the thing I love about it is that I know you're writing the book because I was flattered when you asked me to write the forward for it. And, And I said, well, that's great. Can I read it? And you said, well, it's not quite done yet. 
And um, so I'm guessing by 2024. No. What I said was, I'm waiting for you to write the forward so I can write the book around it. Um, and by it. the way, to the nine other people listening who I asked to write the forward, you're not. Don't worry. You're still in. You're still in. Because if my, if my forward isn't that good, I'm done. Right. I get that. So, 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 so you, you talk about this idea of, of traditional marketing talking at the customer yes. rather than from the customer perspective. Yes. And, and I know from our discussions you've got great examples of that. So do you have some favorites that you've seen that just kind of epitaphy? A pedophile. A that's not good. <laughs> a pedophile, Yeah, Uh-oh. exactly. That's that's when that's when that's when it epitomizes something in a pedophilic okay, right. kind of way. Can we go to a commercial? Exactly. <laughs> so so really, I mean, what what are the what are some examples yeah. that, that you've come across? So funny you should ask because uh, yesterday one of my clients received notification that they are going to be on the Inc. 500 5000 list and. Uh, that's great. But uh, I've talked to enough CEOs on the list who are either clients or others. He said They say it's a really a double-edged sword. I mean, said, why? Why isn't it a great thing? Well, it is a great thing, but the day after the announcement comes out, they are besieged by you know, dozens, if not hundreds, of non-differentiated pitches from commercial real estate agents, HR consulting firms, IT consulting firms, uh, marketing firms, web design, etc., and so um, all you have to do is look at some of these at law firms. You know, I should have mentioned law firms, accounting firms. So all you have to do is talk to these CEOs and what, what it, here's what it looks like from their perspective. Like, I get it. My name's in public. I'm going to get called. I'm going to get emailed. That's not the problem. I don't blame them for trying. What I hate is the fact that it all sounds the same. Yeah, it, it all sounds like when, when in my prior business, we were one of the Washington Fast 50 companies, one of the 50 fastest-growing companies in the Washington, D.C. region. We were the only company that year on the list that was not a government contractor. But you certainly didn't want to tell the vendors that because they would all call up and say, oh, we can help you with your government contracts and compliance. And I would say, well, I'm flattered that you called, but actually we don't – do any government contracting. No, no, you guys are number 21 on the list. And like, it was like, it didn't matter what well, we said. Well, they, the, had their, they had their script and they were going to go through it whether we wanted to hear it or not. Yeah, exactly. And as you say many times, people don't, it's not that they don't do their research. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big NIH project to do the research. They don't even look at your website. You've talked about that many times that people call you and say, Mr. Altman, would you like help growing your sales? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, had, I, I, had a, I had an email um, in the last couple of months <laughs> from someone that said, well, I'm reaching out to you because our specialty is authors and speakers, and a lot of them aren't comfortable having discussions that are sales-related. Um, and so we have a whole methodology and approach that might make it so you're more comfortable in that sales setting. And by the way, the email starts with, after reviewing your website and your LinkedIn profile, and I'm thinking, if you had actually really looked at my website or LinkedIn profile, you wouldn't have done anything. So I sent a note to this guy that said, hey, by the way, I'm kind of curious, which part of my website or LinkedIn profile gave you the impression that I'm not comfortable talking about things that are sales related? And the funny part was that the initial reaction wasn't, oh, I'm sorry. It was, well, maybe maybe our approach could be different than yours. Like like they couldn't even acknowledge that. Oh yeah, we didn't do our research. So so what are your what are some of your favorite examples? Well, here so so the, recently, um, a law firm who was opening a DC office t- 
took out a, I think it costs about $25,000, an ad that's actually a wrapper around the Washington Business Journal. So in other words, when you pick up the Business Journal, the hard copy, there's before you see the front page of the journal, you see their ad. And here's what it said. I'm going to read it to you. And I want to see, I, I want to just, I want to see what you think. Does it move you? The, I'm the sure he, it will. The headline, build up. <laughs> the headline is, remember, this costs $25,000, not an, not an insignificant amount of money. A better law firm experience in D.C. was the headline. At blank, I'm redacting the name of the law firm because they're a law firm. <laughs> At blank, we're committed to creating relationships and delivering results that exceed expectations. We partner with our clients to understand their business and legal issues and develop creative strategies to solve problems. Our entrepreneurial drive, proactive approach, and commitment to client relationships are what set us apart Set us apart. So, so, so smart because, because, by the way, because every other law firm tends to be confrontational and adversarial with their clients. These guys, however, partner with them. So that's clearly right. a differentiator. Okay, that's, I'm almost done. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. But it, what set us apart and enable us to deliver consistently better law firm experience? And they never really talk about how it's better. We will show you that blank is the firm you want to work with. At blank, we're all about you, which is the point... <laughs> Which is the point at which I assumed you would laugh because I laughed. And um, first of all, the sad thing is this is basically wallpaper. The only reason most people wouldn't laugh is because they don't read it all the way through. (laughs) When you go through everything we are and use every cliche and and pablum, you know, law law firm speak, and at the end we say we're all about you, it is not only devoid of substance, it's, it's, it sounds like every other law firm. And by the way, every other consulting firm website and their elevator pitch and et cetera. So shame on them because they pay for this premium space and, you know, basically shot a blank. Well, and the funny part is the partners in that law firm and the marketing people are running around saying, Hey, did you see our ad? Did you see our ad? Did you see our ad? And then when they don't get a response, their reaction is, Oh, it must be the economy. I think the economy is tougher. That's, that's the reason why we're not getting phone calls from this thing. It's the economy. See, it's not that our marketing sucks. It's not that our message sucks. Yeah. It's that, it's that, um, see, see, people are biased against us in this region. That's what it is. <laughs> well, now look, just to be fair, there is some value in having a launch strategy where you throw a lot of money out there to say we're here and that's fine to create awareness and to have your partners feel in this area, feel like they're being supported with air cover and yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's just that I'll give them, maybe I'll give them a pass on that. But, um, and I, I'm going to say that because I tend to be, um, uh, I tend to be very critical of bad marketing. No. So the reason that, so I've learned that I, I can soften the critical nature of my comments by providing prescriptions of what they should have done. So just, and I'm going to give, if I may, I can give some suggestions to that law firm and any other company that's in that kind of situation where they're actually going to spend money to talk about themselves instead of just saying a bunch of stuff that they should really say things that make a difference to their clients. And in my research, so I've interviewed about 600 decision makers over the last five years uh, CIOs, CEOs, CFOs, CTOs, CMOs. And this is just a general abstract. In other words, these aren't things they specifically said about law firm. Here, here's, here is what a law firm could say to really make a difference because this is what people complain about at law firms. Hey, our partners do 75% of the actual work. 
But in other words, we don't farm everything off to junior associates the minute we sign you as a client. Yep. Partner's still involved. Um, at, we don't have new business quotas at our law firm. What does that mean? It means that we can focus on you and I don't have to be out running around schmoozing and networking because we have some top-down revenue. Fine. Now, that's a lifestyle thing. Some companies would say that's ridiculous. Um, our client-facing team averages more years of experience than 90 95% of other law firms. Uh, several of our partners actually have years of real-world experience working in the blank industry. So these are the kinds of things that you would say that at least hint at some level of differentiation and hint at what I what I know of the elevator rants. And the last one is we don't bill you for every phone call. I mean, I, I was talking to someone yesterday about it who said the same thing. He said, well, well, that's how it works. I said, but it annoys you, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, that's what counts, that it annoys you, not that it, it's just how it works. I love the way you describe this because, in essence, you're taking the same bullet points that they're sharing and you're turning them in a way that now is relevant to the customer. So, for example, if they say, oh, we create a better law firm experience, how so? Like, why would I care and what, do I re- what does that really mean? As opposed to our clients tell us that we don't nickel and dime them, yes. that we don't charge – um, that we haven't we haven't figured out a way to bill more than twenty four hours in a day, unlike some firms. Um, we're we're not we 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 haven't made our photocopying center into a profit center. Um, all those sorts of things that you could say that now someone says, yeah, my current firm does that. I'm sick of that. I'm open to hearing what these guys have to say. My other favorite thing that law firms, accounting firms, consulting organizations tend to use is the term full service. Yeah. Right? We're a full-service law firm. Oh, thank goodness, because I guess the rest of your competitors are partial-service firms. Right. right. <laughs> they only do half the job, and then they go away. I've heard the term full-service and thought of it as, hey, we're all things to all people, and we're, we're average at a bunch of stuff. Like, we're not great at what I, – I would love to see a law firm just saying, you know what? We get deals done, and we, we charge based on the success. Yeah, uh, you know that kind of thing. But well, and, and it's tough because keep in mind one of the, one of the things that I'll give, and, and we're picking on law firms, but I'll give them a little bit of a pass, which is for law firms. One of the reasons they have to charge by the hour is because oftentimes the work they're doing is adversarial against somebody else, and if the opposing counsel or the other party is reasonable, then the law firm can say, "Oh yeah." If we're both reasonable, we can do this thing on a fixed fee basis. I remember in my prior business, we had this we had this legal dispute, and it's the first time, only time I've ever had to engage a law firm to do something. And I, I reached out and I said, "Well, what do you think?" And the attorney said, "Look, this thing is so cut and dry. Nobody capable of rational thought is going to oppose this." And three years later, through litigation, <laughs> we got the outcome that we would have expected in three days. But so that law firm couldn't have said, oh, we're doing a fixed fee basis because the other party was totally irrational. Yeah, I get that. I so, totally get so, it. So that that part I get. It's the notion of I remember we had an outside counsel and I'd call the guy up with a 30 second question. And then it's been 20 minutes telling me about this you know, soccer tournament his son had played in <laughs> and we got billed for a half hour. It was like, OK. Um, and I literally got to the point where. He would call me, you know, he'd call me up, would talk about an issue, and then he'd start telling me about his kid. And I would say, Hey, just to be clear, you're not billing me for this time talking about your child, right? 
And there was this dead pause of like, uh, well, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> but like, it hadn't occurred to him that maybe that was inappropriate. So, get, do you have, do you have some other examples of yeah, things that, that I do. you've seen? I do. Um, I'm going to start with the opposite. I'm going to start with a brilliant uh, uh, strategy that that counteracted companies that were doing things in a, in a doing marketing that was just kind of wallpaper. So, T-Mobile, okay. T-Mobile hired a CEO f- about four years ago named John Laguerre. Uh, one of the first things John Laguerre did for T-Mobile, which was a company mired in fourth place behind Sprint and AT&T. And if you're behind Sprint, you're doing poorly. Journalists use the word mired in fourth place when they don't think you're going anywhere either. Uh, he, One of the things he did was he, got, he, he said, I want to listen in on a bunch of customer service calls, uh, live calls. I don't want to talk to the customer. I want to listen and hear what really goes on, what really happens, and what they really what what are they talking about? And uh, so they hooked up a line. He was in his office listening, and what he thought he was going to hear because this was a time when, if you recall, the airwaves were full of ads from AT and T and Sprint with a uh, AT and T and Verizon, Red Map, Blue Map. Whose coverage is better? Whose network is bigger and better? And so you could assume that a lot of research showed them that that wasn't really important to people. So anyway, John Laguerre gets on, he listens, and he's waiting to hear about all the drop calls and the bad technology and the network map that they have that's crappy. He didn't hear any of it. Here's what he heard. He heard, I hate this industry. I hate the wireless carriers, all of them. I hate them because they hold me hostage with a contract. If I try to leave, they charge, I don't, like, I don't remember if it was 275 or 675 uh, ridiculous amounts of money. That's called hostage marketing, by the way. Uh, and so that made a big impression on him. And he heard it over and over again. It was not about the technology. He came back. He said to his team, who he had inherited, uh, hey, guys, um, here's what I'm hearing. It's not about the technology. It's about these restrictive contracts. And if we can break through that and our competitors haven't really addressed it, then we may have something big here. So they said, well, we well, that's just how it's done here, you know, in contracts. That's how it is. Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, he, he had his way. He got his way. And they launched uh, what amounted to a successful four-year air raid of the entire industry by saying no more contracts, no more termination fees. We'll pay, we'll pay to break your contract. You can come over. And um, – it addressed this elevator rant that customers had that was this, they were expressing it, but no one was listening. No one wanted to listen. And he gets a lot of credit now. And he's been written up in many, many places for, um, vaulting them past sprint. Um, and he kept it going because more recently what they've done is uh, the, the same approach They people were starting to say, I I don't use up all my data. And then it's gone. Oh, rollover minutes for data. They pioneered that. The amazing thing about this is that because every custom wireless customer hated this, not just theirs, all the carriers had to follow suit and do what he did. Their share prices tripled, revenues through the roof, profits through the roof. And the best thing of all is recently they raised prices. So that's, you know, so that that's probably my best example of companies that were tone deaf talking inside the C-suite about oh, our network's bigger. Why are they saying their network's bigger? Blah, blah. You could, you could almost see the testosterone going back and forth between the network maps. And here's a guy who just comes in and what did he do? He listened to people on the customer service line. He didn't delegate it. He didn't look at a frigging dashboard, a business intelligence report from three levels down. He didn't listen to his head of sales who had a vested interest in keeping things the way they were, whatever. 
he decided to take it on himself. I think every CEO should go listen to their customers that way. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and there's always those stories about Jeff Bezos having the empty chair in every one of that. the meetings. I love that. That is, who, what, what's that empty chair? That's the customer. Right. That's right. And, and you know, from what I've heard, there are many times where someone's suggesting something and Jeff says, what would he think? What would she think? That's right. So I've done that with clients is had, I've, I'll have them role play where they are the customer. And first of all, it's, you know, in the beginning, it's very difficult for them to get outside of their own heads and talk like a customer would talk. They end up saying their own language. And I say, well, no, no, no. Would a customer really say that? Well, I guess not. And then we go back and we work on it again and again. And it really, I, I love the empty seat. I love the um, uh, sort of the role playing. And you've used that with the same side selling cards. Um, I'm just a big fan of kind of forcing the customer perspective onto the company. Because if you don't have it, you're going to sound like everyone else and you're going to sound fake and opaque and all those other bad words that end with ache. <laughs> and it, it ends in a lot of ache usually. Right, exactly. Heartache. <laughs> and and, and it, this is something that, as you know, I've done a lot of research on how executives make and approve decisions. And I've done this exercise with approaching now 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world on how they make and approve decisions. And the questions that they ask are consistent no matter what the size of the company is, geographically where they are, cultural bias, all those things, it's the same questions. When it comes down to the first question that people ask is a combination of what problem do you solve or why do I need it? And most marketers don't start with, here's the problem that we solve or why people need it. They start with, here are my features and benefits of this thing that we created. And the customer may not care about that perspective. They usually don't. And, and it's okay because businesses know their own stuff. So you know what your product is supposed to do, but you forget the underlying problem you set out to solve with it to begin with. That's exactly right. I I I think that um, this it it's again it's it's suff it's companies that suffer from not deliberately and intentionally listening and understanding what the world looks like from their customers' perspective. If they did that, they could probably dump half or three quarters of the way they do things today, and the rest of it would be extremely effective. Um, I keep getting emails from a company called Marketo. I'm not going to say I'm going to save that for the punchline. Um, the subject lines recently, and this is this is because I downloaded a white paper three years ago. So three years ago, you downloaded a white paper, and now 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 you're on their drip campaign. Yeah, drip. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's a good name for it too, because it feels like the Chinese water torture. Um, <laughs> so Marketo, I, so I check the box when I download the white paper. Do you want? Are you looking for a software today? This type of software? No, I, I'm not. So despite that, I started to get immediately – and I've, I've deliberately not unsubscribed because I want to see where it all goes. So three years later, I'm getting the following subject lines. Bob, was it something we said? The sec <laughs> and then a few days later, Bob, something feels off, which I thought maybe there's a cream for that or something. Like what? <laughs> go, go get some get help. salve. Right? <laughs> That's a much better word. Um, so I think that um, the, the punchline is Marketo is a company that sells marketing automation software. So in other words, they're basically saying, hey, uh, we, you know, we're, we're going to use best practices to use our own software the way it should be used. And what I'm saying is, no, it's tone deaf and annoying to keep pummeling people with emails 
um, long after they've shown no interest. And I get it. They when they when they see me in their database, they go, "We downloaded the white paper. There must be something going on." How, how often do you get emails from from them? I would say it goes back and forth. I think they have a cycle. So, by the way, it's all automated. Yeah. Right. I think I should have sure. established that yeah. for our audience because yeah. you and I know that it's automated. It's not a sales reps hitting send. That that I I probably get them in in cycles of maybe every three months I get a handful, and I, I never click on them uh, because I don't want to get another six years worth of emails. Well, what I think is funny is they they hit you with a, with a cluster of them, and the irony is this is that. If instead of saying, hey, is it something we said? Like, it's like, what if instead they shared valuable content with you that you might actually think is useful? Let's talk about that. And it might shape your your perspective. So what do you think? Well, so I'm a big believer in content marketing. Unfortunately, <laughs> Marketo has tried that. And it's an area where I think that they have provided some value. And I think they can provide a lot of value for existing customers by showing them uh, content that shows them how to use all the bells and whistles. But when you send out content that says things like, is your sales and marketing out of alignment? You know, and here's 10 ways to get in alignment. And, and you read it and you see that it's the same 10 things that everyone else is saying and there's no real value there. Again, I think that maybe alignment is an issue that people struggle with. So good that they got the little mini elevator rant. But they have to be able, if they said to me, we can give you a one-on-one session with someone who's been through this seven times and knows how to fix it, or, or that's what if, fine. Or what if, they, what if they sent you, here's how one company fixed their alignment problem between sales and marketing. I don't know if it applies to you. Well, this gets back to the Inc. 5000 thing. I mean, that's what I heard from people was, I know I'm going to get marketed to when I'm on the big list. What I need is for them to buy me lunch before they you know, expect yeah. something. <laughs> And the lunch equivalent is not literally lunch. It's give me some value. Show me how you solved a problem. Show me, invite me to an event where I can meet other people. Maybe you, maybe there's other you know clients I can meet, like the whole Derek Coburn thing. Yeah. Um, give me some value first. I just think that unfortunately, too much content marketing has become focused on again the company's perspective, not the buyer's perspective. Yeah, yeah. How, do, how do I how do I get you to buy something? How do I get you to show us interest when the reality is what you could say is 45% of the Inc. 5000 companies that we speak with face this challenge. Right. And so there's a better than 50-50 shot that you're not facing this. But if you are, we've got some approaches to solve it. Yeah, I think it's that transparent like we're not forever you know we're not trying to ram this down your throat let me read you another marketo ism hi bob it's been over a year since i'm this is literally right i'm not changing it hi bob it's been over a year since we've heard from you and to be honest we really miss you it says <laughs> and 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 then it says you know and there by the way that's an invitation to a webinar. So they are trying to add value, but they're dressing. I, I'm, I apologize, Ian, but I can see some fresh-faced 23-year-old marketing intern writing this. And I always have a rule that if there's more than three exclamation points in a B2B email, I will delete it. Right? And there are, here they are right here. You'll learn email best practices that will make you beg for s'more. Oh, my goodness. And why does it say s'more? Because it's July 4th weekend, and that's when they sent it. And there's a picture of a s'more. So they'll make you beg for s'more exclamation point. Um, so they're obscuring real value in 
fluffy cotton candy wrapping paper that makes me want to throw up. Yeah. So, and by the way, I have a client that loves Mark. They use Marketo. We get really nice updates inside the platform. Like, show me that, like, show me how it's content marketing has become so focused on trying to entertain people that they forget that they're selling a product. If you showed me how the platform worked in these emails, that might be kind of interesting. Yeah. It solves a business problem. Yeah. If if you, for example, with Marketo, if you said, if you said, um, here's how one company generated an extra $4.3 million from clients they had lost touch with. Right. Someone might actually pay attention. Someone might pay attention. They should. And so it gets back to, it gets back to the underlying rants, if you will, and understanding what types of problems you're good at solving. And that's what I think most people lose sight of. And that's what, I mean, what you teach on the elevator rant is obviously all about that. Yeah. And I think we have to remember that marketing has in general, a huge credibility, believability gap that even if I see something that sounds good, I'm discounting it immediately in my head and saying, well, you know, it's, I I don't believe it, you know, but uh, I'll give it a shot because it's close to what I think might happen. And which is, it's just like, uh, we also have to remember that most people that sit in a marketing department and that create marketing or at an agency, even worse, are like nine layers removed from the customer. And so um, one of my great examples is um, if you listen to WTOP, our local, those of you listening internationally, uh, WTOP is the top ranked uh, DC, Washington, D.C. radio station, all news. So you'll hear uh, this uh, uh, former football player come on. His name is Sonny Jorgensen. And he says... I'm Sonny Jurgensen. Are your federal IT budgets out of whack and are your servers messed up and blah, blah, blah. Vion, a multi-global point, you know, uh, you know, uh, internet addressable, blah, 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 you know, jargon, blah, blah, blah. So someone at Vion said we should advertise. Here are the layers. Someone at Vion said we should advertise. I don't know how that gets, decision gets made. Someone in the advertising department says we need to make a commercial. Someone says we need to find an ad agency to write the commercial. The ad agency gets a writer to write it. The writer gives it to someone to get it approved. Then it goes to Sonny Jorgensen. So what does Sonny Jorgensen know? Obviously nothing. He's there to attract attention. But why would they have a guy who's so awkward with the technology and then knows nothing about it try and read something that it doesn't, you know, it obviously doesn't sound customer centric. So we have to remember that marketers tend to remain too far away from the actual market. I always counsel um, the, the, the marketing people I run across to say, go out and meet with customers. Hear what they're saying in their own words. I mean, if you stay in the ivory tower, you will be only selling ivory, basically. Yeah. So if you had one piece of advice that people should think about and implement in their business starting tomorrow, what would it be? Remember that you are not your customer. You should never make important business decisions on strategy or certainly marketing without making sure that you are immersed in the customer's perspective. And what, what does that mean? You could do surveys. You could do other things. Go out and talk to your customers and hear what their issues are in their words, in their language. Don't, don't script the conversation. Let them talk about what they want to talk about. You might be surprised. That's great. What's, what's the best way, Bob, for people to get a hold of you? Two four zero nine nine four seven six four four or Bob at London Ink London Inc dot com. You know I'm, I'm not going to give you all the Twitter nonsense. I mean I love it, but it's that uh, 
people won't remember it if I give it to you. Okay. So, you know, and we'll include, we'll include all your contact information in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. I look forward to getting all the calls from the commercial real estate agents and the exactly. lawyers. Exactly. It'll be fantastic. But rest assured, they'll all be full service. So that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> Great ending. Good one. I love having Bob on the program. You'll probably see him more frequently because I think we could spend a lifetime just talking about these goofy marketing snafus that people make. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things I think you can apply and use in your business right away. First, your marketing should not be in the marketer's voice, but should be in your customer's voice. Second, make sure that you don't sound like everybody else. And to that end, what you want to do is make sure that you are doing more showing rather than telling. Don't tell people that you're different. Instead, show them, in fact, that you are different. And finally, make sure that you're marketing to the problems that you solve in your customers' words. Trust me, they don't care what it is that you can do until they understand what problem you solve for them. I want to thank those of you for taking the time to subscribe and to share your comments on iTunes, it really makes a big difference. Remember that this program gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the show, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.